the hard part is you can't see that culture from the outside in very easily because everyone's website talks about how great they are. Um, most people are aware enough on social media like LinkedIn that they're going to post the positive things about their company because their company sees what they post. So as far as really getting down the weeds of understanding what is this culture really like, you need to have conversations with people that are not incentivized by you being there. Hey everyone, I'm here with my friend Scott, who is in software sales, among other things. Scott and I go way back to early high school, and he's a really good dude that I decided to stalk on LinkedIn, and I thought he'd be a great fit for the podcast. So I'm excited to learn more about the sales profession as well as the other things that he does for his company. So Scott, thanks for being on the show, man. It is a pleasure. Also, like we chatted about just a second ago, it's, it's just great to catch up with you. It's been a little bit. And I am going to take you up on what we discussed of, hey, in my payment for doing this is rights to our shared birthday. <laughs> it's um, true. Groundhog's Day, February 2nd, after, as of December 8th, 2021, belongs to me. So I'm excited for that piece as well. <laughs> I did. I did have to sell my birthright to get Scott on the show. It's been a feud that we've had for many years. This was the payment. And uh, I guess I guess I'm just going to have to choose a different birthday. So if you guys have any suggestions, you can always uh, put that in the comments if you want on a, a better birthday than February 2nd, because that's a terrible day anyway. So, oh, shoot. Yeah. Sorry, going back to bite me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, again, like I said, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show, man. First off, just tell us what your like official title is and then unpack what that means for us in a nutshell. And then we'll go deeper as we, as we dig into it. Absolutely. So my official title is Licensed Partnership Development. So again, those words together don't mean a lot to people outside of my, my business and people I speak with uh, typically, but what it encompasses is a lot of sales, project management, and training kind of all in one role. So we can definitely take a deeper dive on what that means at the company I work with, but ultimately I just I wear a lot of hat, hats here would be a short way to answer that question. Yeah. One of the things actually, I when I was doing a little bit of research about your company and then also just about what you're doing is I kind of made a connection that I wanted to point out is that because it's a smaller company, you know, it's not a tiny company, but it's, you know, it's not a fortune 500 company by any means is that you do get to wear different hats when you're in a role with a smaller company, there is maybe more opportunity to get to do several different things and become a more well-rounded professional as opposed to just like, yeah, I do sales I, you know, I'm on the phones eight hours a day. That's all I do. So do you feel like that's pretty true? Is that, that the smaller company has allowed you to become more well-rounded? 100%. Absolutely. And that's something that you get a lot more responsibility earlier in your career than you would at Fortune 500 company. In my experience, I, I believe I will always pick the smaller companies for that reason, that I'm not confined within a box. Uh, I'm, really, there's, there's just a lot of different directions to go, a lot of different value you can add within a small company. Yeah, I definitely, I've worked in both really, really small companies and really big companies. And personally, I did prefer the smaller company culture, but I think it really just does depend on that culture. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that as we get into it, but um, Scott, how long have you been in the field or been in sales in general? In the field in sales, about five years. For this company, I've actually done project management, kind of like manage accounts and clients for a while first. And as a piece of what I did as a project manager is managing that relationship and as we developed technology that would help our, our existing client base, it was the role of the account manager go back and actually kind of sell that of like, hey, would this bring you value? And through having a lot of success in doing that, 
kind of exposed that, hey, like sales really seems to be a niche that I would fit well in. That's how I transitioned into sales about five years ago now. And just to give the audience a little bit of context so that we're not talking in the ether, what, what actually do you guys sell at your company? What do you guys do? Yeah. So ultimately what we do, like the mission that we have here is I work for Idle Impact and our ultimate goal is to put $10 billion back into ministry education. And we do this by actually reducing dollars that are being spent on energy of all things and returning it back to their bottom line. So a major component, like you mentioned earlier, software sales is that we have this patented software that buildings use to reduce energy consumption. And a part of my, my license partnership development where that piece comes in is to have a bigger impact than just the state of Texas where we're, we're located at. We are licensing our software out to other companies throughout, throughout the US, throughout the country. Uh, so that is one of my main roles is bringing in other partners that have a client base or looking to build a client base for energy savings to go back to the bottom line. Awesome. So you sell a software package that helps different organizations save on their energy consumption, basically. And then you, in addition to selling that, you license that software out to other smaller companies. That's awesome. That's exactly right. Spot on. So what skills and education did you have to get this job? Like kind of talk us through how, how'd you land the job? Was it your first job out of college? Walk us through like, how, how'd you get there? So as far as education, I would say it's not needed is not required for this type of role. Although most companies are going through, you know, the resume process, the candidate process, usually there's going to be this stack ranking of prioritizing those with a college degree and those that don't. Um, I know it's more of a trend lately that people are hiring salespeople out of high school, uh, but I I think that having a college degree will be helpful um, ultimately. And as far as how I personally got connected with uh, Ideal Impact was actually through my network. It was someone I worked or knew through college, actually gone to church with, and I didn't know a thing about what the company did. I just, I knew that, hey, I'm graduating. I need, I need, I'm an adult now. Need a job. Yep. It happens on this day. You graduate, you're an adult all of a sudden. I need a job, need, need income. And he said, hey, there's this great company. It, it's something that combines both business as well as ministry in one if, you, if you're free Friday, you can interview with the CEO then. So literally that was basically all the context I had for him. So it was my first job out of college. Uh, I worked with Idle Impact for probably, gosh, six or seven years, mm-hmm. left for a couple of years for another sales opportunity, built a sales organization, at another software company, and then end up coming back to Idle Impact to bring that value, again, that outside experience back to the company. It's just been a, a great fit. And um, I'm, I'm happy to be back here. I love it. Yeah. It sounds like you really found a company that you felt like aligned with your values. And that was a big part of job satisfaction for you. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and that's that's my encouragement to anyone considering a career. It's almost even more important than the job itself would be the company you work for. Like I say almost, it's, it's definitely more important. It is. You can usually find, if you can find the right company, you can find the right seat on that bus. Finding the right bus is probably the more challenging piece. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening and you're like, yeah, you know, I've got a lot of different interests or I have no interest and I have no idea what I want to do. If you don't know where to start, one of the best ways to start is actually starting to do some real good research into either smaller companies in your area or even bigger companies in your area and find one that aligns with your values. It seems like it's got a good culture that maybe can retain some people. They're not having crazy high turnover all of the time. That can be a good sign that people are enjoying themselves in those roles. And then within that, you can usually find something. So that is really good advice. Absolutely. And, and having 
you know, having the platforms like LinkedIn that you can, you can find things like you said, job retention, you can see yes. how long people are staying at roles, how long they're staying at companies for. And it's really easy to network. It's really easy to, and people are typically very open to talk about their experience, especially if they love the company they work for. Yeah. Um, so if, if you find people that are welcoming and want to have those conversations, odds are they, they enjoy their company because they want other people to, to have that sense of belonging as well. Yeah. So Scott, being in primarily sales, what skills do you think are the most important to hone to be successful in a sales role? Well, that's, that's a great question. There, there are a lot. I'd, I'd say personality-wise, you'd have to be somebody that's comfortable or even enjoy speaking with people that you don't know. Obviously, that's a big part of your role. So if that's something that brings you a lot of anxiety in normal everyday life situations, you know, probably sales is, is maybe not the right career path. So I, I'd say that would be one thing, would be a personality fit or skill. And, you know, growing up, when I thought about sales, you know, you think about someone that thinks fast, talks fast, high pressure kind of car salesman kind of vibe. And that's, that's really not what it is today. Maybe it was in previous years back in, back in yesteryear, yep. but today it's a lot more, you know, consultative selling. Yes. So by definition, what that is, it's, it's sales that prioritizes, you know, building relationships, having open di- dialogue to identify challenges and needs, and then be able to provide solutions to actually help and allowing the customer to decide, Hey, this is, this is something that will bring me value or not. And to be successful in that would be the ability to listen is, is more valuable than the ability to speak. So being able to, to speak concisely, to ask open questions that allows you know, your customer the space to process, the space to communicate what they actually need, that's, that's one of the most necessary components, I'd say, of having a skill set. The ability to listen and the ability to be concise uh, goes a long way in sales. That is so powerful. I think keeping at the forefront of your mind that everybody's always approaching it with the what's in it for me. They don't really care about what you do or all the bells and whistles that your product has. They care about how does it solve my needs? So if you're really good at discovering what those needs are and then finding out how your solutions can meet those needs without it just being, oh yeah, you know, Mr. Presentation Sales you know, shiny, flashy smile at them, you know, blinding them with your bright white teeth. It's just a much more comfortable conversation. And I think it definitely leads to more sales that way. Absolutely. I I think you explained that very well. So Scott, this next question, I feel like is maybe the main focus of the show. I really just want you to walk through a typical day on the job, have the listener get a feel for what you do. What kinds of tasks are you working on? Mm -hmm. You know, are you spending all day with clients? Are you spending all day training? I know you do a little bit of everything. So walk us through that. Yeah. So it's difficult to define a typical day because, you know, each day is different, which is something that I enjoy. That's good. Uh, but if I could, if I could summarize it as, as well as I could, you know, for every external conversation or meeting that I'm having with someone, I'm usually preparing internally by re- reviewing notes from previous conversations. I'm preparing presentations. I'm meeting with our team internally for strategy to figure out, okay, what should we be focusing on for this specific meeting? What gaps do we have in our understanding of, hey, what is their challenge? What do we maybe not understand about it? So what kinds of questions do we need to be asking them during this next phone call or this next meeting to connect the dots to what value we can bring them? So most of sales is probably the preparation piece, if I'm explaining that well. So what does the preparation piece look like? Can you kind of dive in even a little bit more into that? What is, how do you prepare for a sale? So a lot of times it comes down to knowing who's similar to this person I'm speaking with based off of you know, their, their industry, their size, the type of person you're speaking with, 
what kinds of challenges they've expressed so far. You're digging into, okay, what value have we done for people like them in the past? What would apply here? And then one of the more dangerous things in sales is to make assumptions of like, say, okay, because this worked for client A, it works for client B. Yeah. So you have to be strategic and what kinds of questions or how can you share this information in a way that you figure out, is this actually valuable to them or not? So that's, that's a lot of is internally making sure you're doing your due diligence of understanding who you're speaking to, who you've spoken with, and try to find that value, connect the dots there. Another important piece is to be able to be, to be, able to be seen as a trusted advisor is the ability to understand their world that you're selling into you know, their industry. So I'm often researching what's going on you know, in the industry, current events, figuring out you know, what we can sell that can bring value to those scenarios they're facing, maybe specific to 2021, 2022, whatever the year might be. So to help me with that research, I'm speaking with people we're already working with to understand, hey, what are you focused on for this year? And a lot of times that can give us some insight on, hey, these are what other companies are also thinking about and trying to build these business plans around it coming into next year. Scott, when you walk in the office in the morning, what's the first thing that you do typically? I try to organize each day ahead of time. So usually I'd say if I walk in the morning, if I haven't already thought through what I'm going to do that day, the pre, like the end of the previous day, I go through my calendar and figure out, okay, what's my heads down work that I need to do to prepare for my heads up work? Heads down being preparing information, gathering data, making presentations, figuring out strategy, to prepare for these heads up, that being these externally, these, these presentations, the actual media itself, and then making sure I'm, I don't have any gaps there, making sure I'm coming well-prepared, can bring value in any conversation I'm having with the client. Gotcha. I like that language of heads down, heads up. What would you say is your percentage of time that you spend on heads down work? So like all mm-hmm. the you know business work and then heads up client facing work. Can you put a general percentage on it? Yeah, the fact is I'm actually looking off to the side here for those that can't see me here uh, audio wise, but I'm looking at my calendar to see I have it color coded based off of the nature of the work. So that's that's a little pro tip here. Have your color coded calendar of, hey, heads down work is this color, external means are this color, <laughs> internal means are this color. So you I have said, been a project manager before I can tell. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like you can that way know a glance of a calendar based off the color. What What's the nature of the stuff I'm working on this week or today? So if I'm looking at my schedule here, I'd say maybe 20 to 30% is the actual external facing meetings of having conversations and meetings with clients, maybe 20, 30%. Um, Internal preparation, like heads down work, probably around that 50% mark there. Mm -hmm. And then the internal meeting, somewhere that 20 to 30% range as well. So hopefully my percentages came at least close to 100% there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you that's, do some uh, creative math, it all adds up to 100%. exactly. It might be some flexible in the ranges there. That's about what the typical week looks like, ratio percentage wise. It's good to hear that because I know a lot of people, you know, and, and there are certain sales roles that are this way. When they think of sales, they think of either, you know, knocking on doors all day or they think of outbound calls all day or inbound calls all day long. And there are definitely those roles, but yeah. there yeah. are also sales roles where maybe only 30% of the time are you facing a client and doing a sales presentation or having a sales conversation or a meeting or whatever that looks like. So for people that are a little bit more introverted like myself that can definitely do the the interacting with people, but if I'm doing that, if I'm on nine hours a day, that just sounds overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Hearing that, no, you can actually get by with that being two or three or four hours of your day 
and the rest of it, you're going to be working on the preparation and, and some, some other internal things. Yes. That's just encouraging from, from my perspective. And that's something that, like you said, there are roles out there and the specific roles out there that are a lot of those, hey, on the phones for most of the day, inbound or outbound calls, those are going to be like sales, like SDRs or BDR, sales development representative or business development representative. And I've done that. Like I've done that. For, I did that for a couple of years earlier on in my career. And it was great for building experience. Now, that being said, it was not a fit for me for a long term. Like I knew right away, I don't want to be on the phone all day, every day, forever. <laughs> but it was a great start for my sales career to be able to take it to this, this approach where it's more just, you know, most of my time is spent in preparation versus being on and having these conversations. Yeah. And I actually had it in my notes here. I wanted to ask you if there was a comparison between the position that you're in now versus entry-level sales. I do think that those entry-level sales jobs do tend to be a little bit more, you know, you're prospecting a lot, you're, you're maybe reaching out and you kind of do have to pound the pavement maybe a little bit more, but that is where you get that experience. And if you're willing to kind of pay your dues and, and work your way up, then you can get into a position where you're not having to do that eight, nine hours a day. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Well, I'm glad that that, that coincides with uh, your experience as well. So obviously every different company has a different sales cycle. There are some where it's a one stop shop. You do your clothes right away. And then mm-hmm. other sales that take maybe, you know, months or even years. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with the sales cycle? And the reason I want to know specifically is because, you know, you mentioned I do all this preparation work and I'm only in front of the client, maybe 30, 40% of the time. Right. So how does that translate into how long is the sales cycle for you guys? So different sales roles have had different sales cycles. So I'd say when I was actually selling these energy conservation projects to, you know, school districts, to uh, churches, ministries we're working with to save the money going back to their budgets here, those sales cycles took anywhere from, you know, one to six months. Okay. One month would be pretty great as far as based off of the checks and balances, the politics involved, the decision-making. Usually I'd say one month would be, hey, all the stars aligned. One month is great. Six months was on the tail end of, hey, they had some events going on, slowed down a project. It's not top priority right now. Usually it's somewhere in the middle. Now on the licensing side where I'm actually selling this idea of, hey, we'll license you this software that you can sell to other clients like we've done in Texas. I mean, that's ranging anywhere also from a couple months to even 12 months, yeah. which comes down to you know what they're working on, what their business plan is, where they're at, because you know it, it is a little disruptive as far as you know, if it's not on their priority list, you know, you have to find out where the value is that either makes it a priority here and now, or that they can plan for it in the coming year, like once they get through their their list of things they're working on. Yeah. Do you have any just general advice on overcoming objections? Because with a sales cycle that's that long, I would imagine, you know, time can kill deals. How do you guys overcome that? So I would say to be broad in general, I'd say I love Chris Voss is uh, someone that has a lot of podcasts, a lot of blogs, a lot of books out there. One tactic that he shares that helps a lot in sales is you have to, you have to mirror and you have to label. So what those are tools to understand what the objection is. So I could tell you, hey, you, you say this and it'll work. That's, that's not so much true as it is understanding where the objection is coming from. So mirroring means you're repeating back what they're saying to you in the form of questions. They further elaborate the objection. So you'd say, hey, Scott, I don't have time for that. And I, a mirroring would be, don't have time. Don't have time for that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, because I have this, this, and this. So like, okay, so Jameson, what you're saying is that 
because of this and this, you know, we have a time constraint, feels like you maybe don't have enough time of the day or capacity to face them like this right now. I'm understanding that right. So objection handling, if, if, I'd say read, listen, Google anything on Chris Voss because he has changed my outlook on how to handle objections for the best. I love Chris Voss. Actually, I went on a recent kick with him. He, for those of you guys that aren't familiar with who he is, he's a former FBI hostage negotiator. And yes. now, now he teaches um, sales and negotiation tactics. And it really is powerful because it's, it comes from much more like a psychological perspective. I find his stuff fascinating as well. So that's, that's a really good tip. Definitely look him up if you're Absolutely. interested in sales or any kind of negotiation. Speaking of like kind of outside programs, besides Chris Voss, did you guys ever do any outside training programs or did, have you personally done sales boot camps, seminars to become a better salesman, or was it mostly just through your own company? I'm fortunate enough that at Idle Impact, our sales director, actually that was her previous life for like 20, 30 years. She did sales leadership training. She did sales training, but actually brought into large fortune 500 companies to teach their sales team how to sell. And she's actually the sales director here now at this small company in North Texas. So I personally reaped the benefits of getting this, the sales experience, sales training that typically people would have to pay, go to a course, go through a week long course for this. And it's, it's an internal person. It's actually on this other side of the wall behind me, this room next door. I have, I have terrific resources here, which is a little bit uncommon. Uh, but yes, I, I'd say that we've had outside sales resources brought in-house, if that answers your question well. Yeah, that does. No, I just kind of like to get a sense of how much training did you have to do to get good at this? Yeah, I would, I would say that usually it is one month, four, four to six weeks or so of, hey, you need to understand to some level you know, what the product is, what you're selling. You need to understand how to present it. So whatever that ramp up time looks like, I'd say usually at least a month to get to that point. And then after that, to get good at anything, give yourself a year. It really takes like 12 months of just falling on your face to figure out that, hey, this is something I've come a long ways in the last 12 months, or hey, this is something that I've not gotten any better at and something needs to give, whether it be my career or perhaps how I'm learning, something needs to give. So one month ramp up to start and one year to figure out of, hey, is this for me or not? Yeah. That makes sense. I, I definitely feel like that's been true in my own life. You have to be willing to put yourself out there before you're fully ready as well and learn yeah. from your mistakes. And that yeah. can be really hard, especially in sales when you're dealing with outside people. Yes. But going kind of into that, do you feel like it's true that you have to have a thick skin to be successful in sales? And if so, how have you developed that? Man, that's that's a great question. That's where I don't feel like I fit the mold as much because I do think that sales does require thick skin. I was not naturally wired that way. It has been more of a learned skill for me. And I, th- I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to mental framework of how you start the day and how you end the day of knowing that whatever the outcome of this conversation is, because not everyone's going to be polite. Not everyone's going to be, yeah, that's just the nature of it. You have to know it's not personal. It's, it's not you as a person. It's just, you don't know where that person's coming from, what they faced that day, what's going on in their family life or whatever that moment was that led to that moment where you just felt, oh, like I, I'm, they treated you like you're the scum of the earth in that moment. You just have to know it wasn't me. And, and that's something that was a learned skill more so than a natural ability for me. But I do think that either you have to be a naturally thick skinned person or hey, have methods to cope with it to move forward. Just a learned skill. Yeah. What's the most challenging part of your job, Scott? And then on the flip side, what's the best part of your job? <laughs> yeah, those, those are great questions. They're also like 
Yeah, I'll, I'll be as specific as I can. But I'd say one of the one of the more challenging aspects, which we just kind of touched on a little bit, is the fact that sales is an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, you know, the, the winds are high, the lows are low, and to be able to learn how to manage these emotions, knowing not to get overly confident because something went well, and not and to know not to just beat yourself up because hey, things haven't been going your way for a duration of time. The other piece is that you know some careers are more black and white in nature, like they have like a like I do this and this is what happens type of process. More steady, consistent. Yeah, absolutely. Like you have a task and you're done with it versus sales. Your, your, your whole world is dealing with the gray. This, this unknown you do with people, people are unpredictable. Situations are unpredictable. So that that's one of the more challenging, but also exciting aspects of this job. You can get caught up in the downside, but to kind of come back to like a personality or skill set, I feel like most people have been successful that I've seen have just this natural outlook of optimism and positivity. And you have just have to be wired and remind yourself of that optimism because it's not always going to be rainbow and sunny skies. It's not, but you have to know that that, that day could be tomorrow. Yes, that's good. So that'd be one of the more challenging aspects of it. Yeah. What do you feel like is the best part of the job for you now that we've covered the the sad roller coaster? Yeah. So there, there are quite a few things. Like one for sure would be the fact I'm not doing the same thing every day. The fact that I, I enjoy speaking to people. I, I genuinely always have. So it, it's something that I, I, I have this genuine curiosity to learn about them, learn about what they're doing. I, I, I love just researching random things and just taking like a deep dive into something that just interests me. And that's what sales, there's a lot of that in sales. You, you would not be learning this kinds of thing in other fields versus, hey, I need to know this thing this month. I'm going to take a deep dive in it. And the other part that actually got me into sales was the financial upside. That is the reality is hey, knowing myself, knowing that I'm, I, so I'm a husband, I'm a father of, of four boys. I know I need to provide for my family in some way or the other. And it's not going to be through, it's not going to be through my intelligence. Uh, I, I'm a very average intelligence person. But the ability to, to listen, the ability to, to communicate well with people, this that's just something that attracted me to sales. It's probably one of the best parts of my job. Yeah. Well, and I think too, because there can be that stigma about sales that it can be difficult to find those entry-level jobs for, mm-hmm. for a lot of different, but sales is one of those entry-level jobs where there's usually, whether we're in a downturn or whether in an economic upturn, whatever's going on, every company needs some level of sales at all times, because if you don't have sales, your, your company's dead. And so there's always that need. And so people that are willing to jump into that, even if they are of average intelligence, that you can, <laughs> you can see that upside, you know, and I, I see myself in a lot of that, you know, I, I remember being in high school and talking to my dad about different careers that I was interested in. And I, I made a comment just offhand. I was like, well, I, I don't ever want to do sales. And he's like, well, hang on. Like, don't, don't just <laughs> back, 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 up, a back up because <laughs> there's a lot of different kinds of sales and you might find something that you like, and there's always going to be opportunity there, you know? And, and like you said, there's potential high upside if you get good at it. So let's go, let's dive into that actually a little bit, the compensation piece. What do you think a realistic entry-level sales position might be in, in today's market and then mid-level late career? What does that look like? Yeah. So there, there are a few different ways to look at it. So in sales, you usually have some form of base, like a base uh, salary that you know you can count on. And then there's going to be commission, which is your incentive for when you sell something, you get you get percentage or you get some kind of uh, commission plan. So typically when you're starting, starting early in a career, you can expect the combination of both base plus commission to be somewhere in that 60000 
the $80,000 range, which again is phenomenal coming out of school. That's pretty good. That's a great way to start. So from there, if, if you're in the field for a little bit, you know, you're constantly improving your, you see your base rise, you see your commission opportunity rise as well. Sort of that probably 80 to 150 K range. And then there are people in the later stages of sales where really it's, it's great. It's, it's 150 to 300,000 or if not even more uh, on the base salary plus commission side. So again, the upside is tremendous for, for people out there. So for further context, we talked earlier about, you know, average intelligence and whatnot. So my family is unusually intelligent. Like my, my siblings, I have a, a brother that's a doctor. I know your family. This is true. Oh yeah. A sister that's a nurse, a brother that's a national merit scholar. So when you look down this line of all these, these siblings, like, yeah, Scott, you're just, you're just there. <laughs> so, so anyway, so for me, when, when I learned the financial upside, I learned, Hey, I want to provide for my family. It was nice to know that there are careers out there that, that can fit that mold of like, Hey, you don't need to be a genius to be able to provide for your family comfortably. Uh, so sales is a great avenue for that for me. Yeah. You don't have to be a neuroscientist or something, <laughs> something super impressive. Exactly. So Scott, I know we talked a little bit about your typical day and you know, what, what it looks like. Can you just talk to what, what part of the day do you look forward to the most? Just usually day in, day out. You know, I, the part I enjoy the most is having these conversations with clients. It's, it's what all this preparation is for. So I played sports growing up. I played basketball and you know, I, I enjoyed practice. Practice was fun to me, but always looking forward to, hey, what's going to happen in, in the game? For me, I have that same mental picture of, hey, the game itself is that sales meeting, that external conversation. The preparation is practice. So for me, I, I, I love the lights. I love the game. So I'd say that's probably what I look forward to is preparing for that moment and then succeeding with it. How stressful do you think sales is or just your job in general? And then how do you deal with that stress? You know, a lot of it depends on the company. As far as, so I've worked at sales organizations where it was all about the numbers. It was all about, Hey, we need to hit this number this month. We hit this number this quarter and have annual goals. And Hey, if you don't, if you don't hit this number, well, you're, you're gone. It's, it's just the nature of it. A lot of it is very cutthroat. Sink or swim. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, I'm fortunate that the company I work with, I've, I've had a lot of success on that side, but it's not the pressure point. The pressure point is really like, okay, how can we grow? What are we doing right? Where, where do we as organization need to improve in? And when you focus on those right things, like you're going to see success, you're going to see those numbers and it, you need to have goals. You need to have like some dollar figure working towards, but a lot of it is the mentality of it. If, if you're, if you're telling your team that, Hey, you're not going to be here tomorrow unless you do this, that's pressure. That is a stress that I experienced before that I, I don't want to experience that again. But a lot of it has to do with the company you're working for of, of how they deal with needing to hit numbers, what their approach is. Yeah. So much of it does depend on that company. Let's hit that again. How did you find such a good company? Do you have any advice for people on how to find a good company that they would like to work for? That's not all about the numbers and sink or swim. Yes. You've got the the hard part is you can't see that culture from the outside in very easily because everyone's website talks about how great they are. Um, Most people are aware enough on social media, like LinkedIn, that they're going to post the positive things about their company because their company sees what they post. So as far as really getting down the weeds of understanding, what is this culture really like? You need to have conversations with people that are not incentivized by you being there. So we're talking about recruiters, you're talking about the sales director, HR, they are compensated or at least incentivized of, hey, we need people in the door. It doesn't necessarily matter if they succeed or not. We just need people here because we need to, we need to hit these numbers kind of thing. 
versus if you're to if you're interested in a company, you really need to be speaking with people in different roles throughout the company. And you can get a better gauge of one, is this person willing to engage with me on this or not? And two, when you're getting there, you just need to be able to be strategic with what kinds of questions you ask about, you know, work-life balance. What's your experience been like that for you? What's what's important to you? And you find out from those people kind of what the vibe is of a company. So I'd say that's important. Another part of finding a company that you're interested in, for me, it's all been through my network. Like, who do you know? Take them out for coffee, have a virtual meeting over Zoom, because that's that's what we're doing these days anyway. Yep. Learn about what they're doing. And then from there, you know, Worst case scenario, you get another contact. If someone says, hey, who else? End that conversation with who else do you know that I should speak with about this? And eventually you're developing this network. You're finding, you're going to find a company that makes sense for you. And you're, you might even find a job as well in that process. But that's, that's the best advice someone gave me was that exact same process. And it worked, it worked on my end. And I've, I've known other people that it just goes very well from that approach. Yeah. I'm living proof of that right now because uh, having those meetings, that, that's partly what this podcast is, is I'm having those informational interviews for you on your behalf, kind of just modeling what that looks like. You you go, you find somebody that does something that you're interested in, and you ask them these kinds of questions. That It really can be that easy. And you only need one or two of them to say yes. And then you also mentioned a key piece in there, which I'm going to do to you, by the way, at the end of this uh, conversation <laughs> off the air is the, hey, who else do you know that you think would be a good fit? That one question, if you're willing to ask it and just be a little bit bold, people want to help you. People are willing to give you names or contacts that they know of if they feel like you're genuinely taking steps towards your goals and trying to help yourself. You're not just looking for handouts, but you're actually trying to collaborate with them and you're working towards your goals. People want to help you push the car with you. So yeah. And they get excited to see you be successful in that. Like if if you're engaging conversations, like we've, we've all been there at different stages of careers. So somebody else had told me too, that look for someone that like talk to your peer group, then talk to people that are a step ahead of your peer group. So when that, so if you've been in the industry or been working for five years, find someone that's but working for 10 years, 15, Yep. Um, talk to that, that next step ahead of you as well. And, and just look for guidance and wisdom and they'll, they'll be there to like, we all would like to see people succeed. And I, I think that's, that's a key part there. Yeah. That really is what the foundation of networking. It's much more like, I see it much more like making friends or at least making acquaintances than going to a shady hotel, you know, <laughs> with bad coffee and, or bad drinks and trying to hand out as many business cards as you can. That's just that's just a dead way of doing things. And it's not fun. Nobody likes it. But I think most people like good conversation. And so if you can become a good conversationalist and be willing to hone those skills, that really is the best networking advice. And I think, you know, Scott, you're a good example of that because that's how you got your job. Absolutely. Thank you. Just a couple more questions here, Scott. We you also mentioned work-life balance. What's your work-life balance like? I, so my wife, we got married right out of college. I was 23. My wife is starting her senior year, 21. So from the get-go, I, I knew that family was going to be important to me. Like I knew we wanted to have kids. I knew that I wanted to have this quality time with my new wife at that point. This, this now is about eight years ago. And so I made sure while I was looking for a job, I wanted to find something that weekends were, were hey, dedicated to family. And while there may or may not be like the occasional after hours, like after five o'clock thing that would come up, it's like, hey, I'm totally, if, if something needs to happen, like I'm willing to do that. But if that is the norm, well, that's, that's probably not interesting to me. So it's really making sure to set that expectation, find out the real answer before, like during the interview process, while you're having these conversations, 
just understand what other people's work-life balance looks like. So for me, typically eight to five, the occasional evening where I'm working a little bit later to get something done. And that's totally okay. That's what my expectation was. And that's their expectation of me. And I know that for me as a father and as a husband, I, I wanted to invest this time in my kids and my wife, especially while my kids are, are living under the same roof. It's just time that we're not going to get back. So for me, work-life balance is about being able to be a good father and a, a good spouse. That's good. That's really good advice. Scott, before I ask my final question, did we miss anything? Is there anything else that we should have mentioned or any previous question that you want to elaborate a little bit more on? You know, that's a that's such a great sales question too, by the way. <laughs> I, I love to end me with, hey, is there something I didn't think to ask you? Because often you do find a little nugget or a gem there that you didn't you think of. But J- Jameson, you cover all your bases. In my mind, I'm I feel like we covered a lot of topics here. Yeah. I, I feel good about where we're at. But no, that's a great question. I've really enjoyed this time speaking over this with you. Good. Me too. I've I've had a blast. Okay. So then let me tee up this final question here for you. So what's the best practical advice, Scott, you would give to someone who wants to be successful in a sales career, let's say they're just starting out, they're trying to land that first entry-level position. Mm -hmm. What are the most practical next steps you would give them to pursue a sales career? So to clarify, so you're saying entry-level sales position to either to find a job or once they have that job, how can they be successful at starting off? Um, Maybe a little bit of both, but let's let's start with finding the job. What's the best piece of advice that you would give? Let's say they're right out of college. Okay. It comes down to that networking piece that we talked about. Like you use that time prior to graduation to to meet with people within your peer group, to meet people outside of your peer group that like that next level up, have a conversation, which is exactly what this podcast is. Ask these same questions, write them down. What Jameson's been asking me and others uh, and other podcasts as well, write them down and go through these questions with people within your network. Ask your parents, like who, what other business professionals do you know in your network? And they'll connect you with those people. And it really, when at the end of the day, you will find a company that that sounds interesting to you, that you you can you find a connection, get referred in for an interview. Um, and two, a lot of times you could actually get hired on the spot because that person has some level of decision making or authority within a company they're coming from. Yep. And and having a, a college student initiate that conversation, having a college student be genuinely curious and seeking that out, that's attractive to an employer. Yes. I know that from a, a piece of what I do is on the recruiting side. And if we have college students reaching out to us, initiating those conversations, engaging with our team, like that's, they get top, top priority of this is someone that we would be interested in working here. Yeah. So that would be the, the landing, the job, just do what this podcast is in real life. Yeah, that's good. And then kind of part two of that question, once you're in sales, let's say you're a couple months into it. Mm-hmm. How do you go from just being like average to being a really good salesman? You've got to, to learn from the people that are being successful where you're at. There, there's two different, two different elements of this. One, you're going to learn from people who are successful in sales just in general, whether it be like reading through sales resources and books, people you know that do sales elsewhere. It will be at least somewhat applicable. The other piece is you need to learn from people who have been successful at the company you're at. Hmm. So you need to shadow them. You need to take them out to lunch. You need to figure out what did you do to get ramped up here? How did you go from, you know, starting off to 120% of quota, things like that and learn from them. Like that you can learn from them more than you can learn from me on this podcast of just making sure you're asking the right questions, make connections within your organization where people have been there and done that while also pursuing, okay, outside of organizations or outside of this company, who's been successful in sales at other industries, other organizations, and you can take those principles back. 
So those would be the two areas I'd say to focus on, on how do you get from average to great? That is great advice. Scott, I had so much fun reconnecting with you, man, and also just having you on the podcast. Uh, I hope we talk again soon. Um, absolutely. been a pleasure. Enjoyed it a lot. You have, you have a great thing going. I think this is a great idea and excited to see it take off. Awesome. Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time.